hello. 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 How's it going? Pretty good. Good. Merry um, 10th of November, guys. Merry 10th of November. Merry Harvey Dent Day. Happy Harvey Dent Day. Yes. Harvey Dent died on Harvey Dent Day, and that's why we celebrate Harvey Dent Day. That's the Harvey Dent Day song that the <laughs> children of Gotham sing. <laughs> that was a, a great song. It gets into a little bit of like a Snowpiercer situation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty creepy. Uh, I'm mad they took that out of the movie. Yeah, it was in a deleted scene. Would have been great. Yeah, you got to watch the deleted scenes with the director commentary, and Christopher Nolan will actually sing the song for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's something that we all need to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, spoilers for The Dark Knight Rises. Harvey Dent Day. <laughs> that just gave away the whole plot. Uh, hello, and welcome to, um, what is it, episode 18? 18? Episode 18 of uh, We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them. The only podcast on the internet where the three of us watch movies and then talk about them. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this here podcast, joined at my right hand by Becca. Hello. And at my left hand by Sid. Hi. How's everybody doing today? Tonight, I suppose. Pretty good. It's good. quite late. It, it is quite late. It's is always everybody, late. Everybody feeling awake and chipper? Yep. I wouldn't say awake. chipper, but well, I'm here. We're here. And I'm conscious. Well, guys, congratulations. Our podcast can now buy cigarettes. Look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to be the cool kid in school now. Yeah. The cool podcast. Yeah, we'll buy cigarettes for all of our other podcast friends. Yeah, we will. It's going to be awesome. Any, all none of them. Mm-hmm. Any younger podcast, if you want us to buy cigarettes for you, we'll do it. Just let us know. Not alcohol, though. It's going to take us... A couple huh? more weeks. Yeah. Let's just say we'll drive... To go get alcohol on episode 21. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Wonder what that was in reference to. I wonder what movie we're going to watch. It's an Easter egg for you guys. Figure well, it out. Let us know on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> go find Somebody go start our subreddit, I guess. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Um, today, we're going to be uh, deep diving. Diving deep into... The final chapter of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, spoilers, there is some actual rising that goes on in this movie. Literal rising. Literal rising. And chanting of the word rise. And not just in my pants. Because <laughs> <laughs> this movie is awesome. As Andrew would say. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Bane is so cool. He's so cool. He is cool. He's so cool. For most of it. He's a bad guy. Yeah. Horrible person. Lots of innocent deaths. But man, is he cool. Oh, yeah. He looks really cool doing it. Yeah. Um, If you missed somehow, some way, if you somehow, some way missed the previous two installments of our deep dive analysis of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy... Well, you can go find episodes 16 and 17 wherever you found this podcast. Listen to them. Go watch those movies uh, because they're great and we enjoy them. And they come before this one. They do come before this one. Um, and as we were talking, The Dark Knight is probably the easiest movie to just watch on its own. Uh, this one requires a little bit more history. So it's a good idea to watch the other two movies before watching The Dark Knight Rises. And you know, if you're going to watch the movies, you might as well listen to us talk about them because that's what the podcast is. 
That is true. And now, we will begin to discuss The Dark Knight Rises. Ooh. Where is the trigger? <laughs> I would. I just want to. I just want like an hour long montage of Christopher uh, or of uh, Christian Bale asking people where things are. <laughs> where is she? Where is the trigger? Oh, man. <laughs> do it. No, do it. Do it. Do it. I was gonna say, where's the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> How do you hang on? Do you think that Batman suit looks pretty airtight? Ooh. What do you think he does? I don't know. He's just got to clench it. Here's the thing. He's he got, thought, he's doing like he little thought dances. of everything else. You think he didn't build. Here's the thing. I imagine uh, some sort of receptacle bin in the crossroad area <laughs> with a, a small hose running down to the heel of his shoe. And it just what? Squirts it yeah, out? He just, yeah. he just He just lets it go. It flows down the hose and just out of his heel behind him. He can use That's it. It's pretty gross. As- a weapon, you know. He's, I was gonna say he double. Pees, someone slips in it. <laughs> Perfect. Or, or imagine this: you get kicked in the face by Batman, and you, oh, what is that? Is that, is that blood <laughs> on my face? And you're like, no, I'm not bleeding. That's urine. <laughs> you, you know by taste <laughs> that it's urine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I just okay. Batman, I could have designed your suit better than you. <laughs> I kind of just imagine like like long long johns in the back with like little buttons on the side. <laughs> yes. Just a flap that just zips un- down. It just unbuttons the bat suit. Well, no, because it's it's fancier, so it's got like mechanisms. So he like presses a button and then it, it just, just like, flaps down. Do you, know? you think that? Hang on. Do you think that he knows like if he's gonna go out uh, Batmaning that evening? So like if he's like. Ah, really craving some mexican but i'm going batmaning tonight so probably a bad idea or is he just always on edge like does does batman just never ever eat foods that possibly mess with his stomach is he just like a protein bar guy i don't know i don't know with the rate that his body is in this movie his bowels are messed up and like what if he's out like maybe his bowels are the healthiest part the doctor doesn't say anything about them that's true. Yeah. He but says, despite all of this, your digestive tract is impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another deleted scene that they decided not to put in. <laughs> it seems superfluous. <laughs> I'll admit. Here's the thing. These deleted scenes deleted for a reason, but they're fun. They sure are fun. There. You heard it first here. Go watch the deleted scenes. <laughs> watch the deleted scenes for uh, Batman's uh, uh, built-in bat toilet, uh, the rest of his doctor's appointment, and whatever the heck we said at the beginning. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, it was the song. Oh, uh, that's yeah. right. The song. Harvey yeah. The Harvey Dead Day song. <laughs> um, okay. Maybe we should actually do this at some point. Probably. Um, thank you for sticking around at this point. Um, we're actually going to talk about the movie now. Yeah, we are. Um, here's the thing. Uh, what is this? This movie came out in 2012. We're talking six years here. I think. Do we say five years is the like spoiler warning that we have to give? Yeah, I'd but say so. We'll do it out of politeness. We're gonna spoil this movie to death. If you haven't seen it, who hasn't seen this movie? No one. Everyone's seen this movie. Unless you were living in that prison, you haven't seen this movie. Well, they had a TV down there. That's true. Yeah, but then he broke it. Hmm. What a dick. <laughs> Breaks their one TV. <laughs> No wonder they were cheering for him to get out. <laughs> <laughs> Leave us alone. Give us our TV back. <laughs> um, so let's just do this. We're gonna. Here's the thing: how we do this on we watch movies and then talk about them. In case this is your first time listening, 
We do some hot takes. We do some deep dives. Then we do some uh, trivia with uh, Trivia Sid. Then we do uh, ratings out of 10 on the Weston scale. And at some point, um, I'm going to go back and figure out what all of our ratings are. And we're going to learn that Hereditary is probably the fourth best movie we've watched on this podcast. (laughs) Wow. What an accomplishment. Good job, Hereditary. (laughs) Um, So we're going to do it as we always do it, which is uh, starting to my right, Becca, sizzle us with your hot take. All right. The Dark Knight Rises. Um, I... Oh. It rises again. <laughs> At some point, we actually will talk about this movie. We're doing it now. We're doing it now. Um, I actually really like this movie. I think it's a great movie. I like it better than Batman Begins, but not better than Dark Knight. Obviously, we'll get to that later. Um, my hot take is I love... I feel like we talk, we've talked about this about all the movies, but the characters, and I love the the added characters in this movie. So, like, the addition of um, Robin and Bane and Catgirl. <laughs> we all love the addition of Catgirl. <laughs> Even though I hate Anne Hathaway. I no like Catgirl. To, no reason to. Oh, she's terrible. I don't like her. Anyway... I love the addition of the characters, and I think the plot is really cool and fun, and it's a great movie. So, yeah. Cool. Sid, hot take. Um, so, if you listened to last week's episode, you know that Dark Knight is a 10 for me. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. So, I've this one gets overshadowed a lot for me, where just nothing can beat the Dark Knight for me. But rewatching it, I forgot how awesome it is. I used to like kind of put it in the same, uh, on the same scale as Batman Begins, but I was so wrong about that. Um, yeah, this one's awesome, and like Becca said, the characters are so good in every one of these movies, and like without the characters, this movie wouldn't be as good because you, you know, there are lots of holes in the plot and just things that don't make sense, but it's the characters that really drive the movie forward, and yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Um, I'm looking something up here um, before I give my hot take, mostly out of curiosity. Where does it list the crew of this movie? Do you know? Um, it should be. Is it at the top more? Yeah. Oh, is it? See full cast and crew. Cast and crew. Okay, hang on, because I'm curious on something. Um, not cast. I want crew. It's a big cast. You're gonna have to control F on that. Okay, here we go. So it was the same guy then. I, I was curious to see whether or not the same guy shot this as shot The Dark Knight. Well, he shot all three, actually. Because it's odd to me. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll give my hot take in this way. Um, I've always floundered on whether I like this movie or The Dark Knight better. Um, wow. I know. Wow. I, And for a few reasons. One, I think that Bane is just as compelling of a villain as the Joker is. And I think that Tom Hardy's performance is definitely less eccentric than Heath Ledger as the Joker. But I think it's no less impressive. Uh, even his his voice gets laughed at a lot. I've never ha- had a problem with his voice, ever. A lot of people make the, the jokes about his voice being all weird and whatnot. 
I've never had a problem with Bane's voice, just like I've never really had a problem with Batman's voice. Like, it's a comic book movie. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I've talked about this in the last two, that these movies are very comic booky, And I think this one is probably more comic book-y than the first two. And that's mostly due to just how absurd Bane's plans are. Like, he really goes above and beyond to, like, think of plans that could have the most holes poked in them. Like... So many things can go wrong to make his plans go bad. And he's just cartoonish almost in his villainy. But he's... I'll talk about him a lot. I have a lot to say about Bane. Um, So I have floundered between whether The Dark Knight and this is a better movie. Spoilers, watching them so close together, I, I think that The Dark Knight is a better movie. But I think that that's mostly due to the filmmaking than it is... The, the screenplay or the acting or anything like that. I think that they're pretty much equals as far as writing and characters go. But watching them so close together, I, I do think that The Dark Knight is a better made movie. I think it's definitely better looking. I think that um, the cinematography impressed me much more in that one than it did in this one, which is why I wanted to see if the same person shot uh, this as shot The Dark Knight. And I find it odd that he also shot Batman Begins. Um He's actually shot a lot of movies that I quite enjoy. He shot Moneyball, Inception, The Prestige, um, Insomnia, Memento. So he's got good pedigree. So I just thought it was, I don't know. And I wonder if, I I wonder where that comes from. But mostly I think that, um, like I said, The Dark Knight is is probably, I always say that like certain movies are a pleasure to watch. And by that I mean that they just look so good. And I think that The Dark Knight is more of a pleasure to watch just from a visual spectacle in spite of the fact that this has a lot more large-scale things going on, and there are a lot of cool vistas and shots, specifically the prison, um, I think is really, really, really cool as far as the location goes. But I said this last week, that when we put in the, the, the Dark Knight, I just forgot how good that movie looks, and how good the cinematography is, and how sharp everything looks. And I didn't I didn't feel that same way about this one. So I think that the Dark Knight just barely edges it out, but that should say how much I enjoy this movie. And specifically, I think it's because of Bane and Alfred. I think are the two reasons why this movie really stands out for me. So, um, long story short, as far as my hot take goes, I love this movie. I agree with Becca. I think the characters are the standout part. And I think that Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan, who has a writing credit on this, do a fantastic job of using these absurd set pieces to allow these characters to develop and shine. And I think that's what really makes this movie special is that like it could have just been a run of the mill action movie and it definitely is a action movie, but it's so character centric. And um, like I said, the things, the setting and the set pieces allow the characters to develop and kind of marinate. And I think that's a really special thing to do. So that's my hot take. Um, who wants to get us started? We're going to go a little bit more detail now. We each take notes uh, while we watch the movie, so we all have things that we want to say. So, um, Well, I'll go ahead and start. I, I don't know if this is like a huge conversation piece, but um, one thing that I really like about this movie <laughs> is that... I'm sorry, I realize that I say the same things every time I talk. 
So I'm sorry if it sounds like I repeat myself a lot. It's really fun when we point them out too. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, there's a lot that happens in this movie. Like just going back through my notes and looking at some of the things that I wrote from the beginning of the movie and then thinking about where it ended up. There is just so much that happens. Um, and my first note was just like the first scene, like the way this movie starts is so awesome with like Bane um, on the plane and they just like this other plane comes and like grabs onto the plane and there's this big crash and I don't know it's amazing it's so good and like that's how it starts and I think it just sets up for a really good movie what's the uh the Samuel Jackson line I'm so sick of these Monday the Friday <laughs> Banes on this mother something what's the censored version do you know uh, I just I'm sick of these mother effing snakes on this mother effing plane the cent- hang on, I, <laughs> I mean of course I'm not doing it justice but Oh, there we go. I'm sick of these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. That's like the censored version. It's amazing. So when you said that, I just thought Bane on a plane. It was like a Dr. Seuss book. Uh, But I agree with you. That was also my first note is how I said the the trend of amazing opening scenes continues. The opening scene in all three of these movies is spectacular. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, sets up the movies in a really effective way. Yeah, I think it just lets you know, like, we are in for a ride. Yeah. I'm like, ready, set, go. What I love about that scene is just, like, when they pull off his mask, like, his face is just so stonewall and just, it's really telling to his character and how harsh he is throughout the whole movie. And I just, just that, oh, it's so cool. Because, like, you know, like, in most movies when they're, like, taking off, like, a bag on someone's head, they're, like blinking and trying to adjust to the light and like breathing hard but he's just like so qual qual <laughs> he's so calm cool and collected it's awesome i watched this youtube video and i wish that i could remember the channel that it was on um also what the video was actually called um because i thought it was really interesting it was about um opening i think it was if you youtube like how to start a movie or something like that you should uh, come up with the video <clears throat> but it specifically, uh, it talked about effective opening scenes to films, and it specifically talked about The Dark Knight. And I think that the same things apply here with The Dark Knight Rises. It basically says that um, you ha- there's just uh, like different levels of, of storytelling as far as movies go, that the laziest way you can start a film is with a voiceover. So like somebody just like, and he, he played the opening to the Emoji movie <laughs> as an example. <laughs> uh, but then he talks about how um, he, he focuses mostly on uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Dark Knight are the two that he focuses on. And how, and I never realized this, um, but in Raiders of the Lost Ark, it starts out with that famous scene of him going to get the Golden Idol and then the, the ball rolls after him and then the bad guy comes down and takes it from him. And what does he say? Like, once again, what, is, what was yours is now mine. Like, that, that awesome line. Um, and then he is teaching in his classroom. Somebody comes to him and is like, we need to go get the Ark of the Covenant. Like, if you removed the opening sequence of Raiders of the Lost Ark, the story makes perfect sense. Like, we, it never references back apart from it introducing the bad guy. And, like, you could cut that beginning sequence. But what it does is it sets up Raiders of the Lost Ark as an, as an, a, an adventure movie. We're going to see this adventurer go on to have adventures, right? <clears throat> 
Whereas if you start the movie um, with him teaching in a classroom, then we're surprised when he turns out to be this crazy bad A going on to Cairo to shoot guys in the street and all this kind of stuff, right? So the opening scene introduces you to what kind of a story is being told. And then it talks about, he talks about the beginning of The Dark Knight, how that entire purpose of the entire bank heist scene is just to introduce the Joker. And I think that the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises does both of those things. I think it's interesting, like you said, it tells you that you're in for a ride. So one, the scene introduces us to Bane, and two, it tells us that things are about to get a lot crazier. Like this is the kind of, we're telling the kind of story where one plane can hook onto another plane, rip its wings off, uh, throw people into the bo- into the, the fuselage of the plane, extract this Russian scientist dude, and then fly off and everybody gets away. Like That's, that's the, our baseline. Yeah, that's the kind of story that we're telling here. So we, we expect it to be nutso. So when Bane blows up a football field and blows up the bridges and traps the cops underground, it's like, yeah, it, this is what we expected. Maybe not with those details, but like something of that level of craziness. So that, that YouTube video, again, I'd highly recommend it. I thought it was really interesting. I'd, I'd recommend going and, and checking it out because I think it this, this is the first movie I watched since watching that movie or that, that video on YouTube. But I think it's going to kind of change the way that I watch opening scenes because it, it happens kind of subliminally to people, I guess, who aren't paying attention. But a, a, an effective opening scene should really set you up for what kind of story is being told as well as introduce a critical character. And I think this movie does both of that, both of those things fantastically. Is it How to Begin a Movie? That's the one. Okay. I found it for What's you guys. What's the channel name? The Closer Look. The Closer Look. Mm-hmm. I don't want to uh, steal from somebody else. So that's the YouTube video. Go check it out. It's very good. Um, I would add in there, as far as effective opening sequences go, as long as we're on that, uh, potentially the best opening sequence in film, in my opinion, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yeah. Go check out oh the- Oh, my gosh. Uh, <gasps> that is a good one. Go check out the Lessons from the Screenplay video- on why that's such an effective opening scene just as a side note <laughs> that movie <laughs> i love that movie yeah i'd love to talk about that sometime that's a 10 for me all right we're gonna do it okay um so the opening scene it's great we love it yeah and for those reasons plus there's just so many freaking just classic lines in there will you die if i take off the mask it would be very painful. You're a big guy. Were you? Ah! <laughs> oh, he's so cool. He's so cool. Um, can we talk about Bane? Can we just yes, jump into there? Please. Yes. So again, um, the the big thing here, uh, again, the, the the best part of this movie is the characters. Um, and I want to talk a lot about Bane and a lot about Alfred because Alfred only gets about, he's only in about the first hour of the movie, I think. Yeah. But I think he is potentially... If not the most, the second most important character in the movie. Um, but I want to talk about Bane um, and why I think he's such a good villain. Half of my notes about him were just quotes. I I wrote some quotes down from him too. But I think that Bane, the, the writing of Bane's character does a really effective job at showing who he is. Um, and I, my first unit, he's my first note is that he is. <laughs> He's huge. He's giant. <laughs> like Tom Hardy, man. And like just the scene when Batman just starts like punching him on the like stairway or whatever. Uh-huh. 
and he's just like standing there. It's just like he just, just takes like, it. Yeah, it's he's nothing. just like whatever. And he just like <laughs> picks Batman up and drops him. Like, oh my gosh, he just makes Batman look so weak and that, little. That first scene in the sewers where you see him with his shirt off, though. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. What an enormous human being. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that Tom Hardy got yoked for this movie, but I'm sure that there's some camera trick as well involved in mm. making him look so gigantic. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did a warrior and this back to back. But like in that one, he's more trim. Do you know when Bronson was made? I don't. But I know that he like he like really kind of damaged his body getting in shape for this because he put I on doubt it. so much muscle so fast. 2008 was Bronson. Okay, so, so he, that was. So he just stayed huge for a while because he was. Yeah. He was gigantic in Bronson. <laughs> so I think it was Bronson Warrior. This. I mean, Bronson was 2008, so I don't know. Have you seen Bronson? No. Add that to your list. All right. That movie's spectacular. Okay. Um, same guy who directed Drive, actually. Ooh. Yeah. Um. So, uh, let me kind of perhaps go over why I think Bane is such an effective villain and such a terrifying villain. Um, last week, we talked about how the Joker is terrifying because he doesn't want anything. He just wants to hurt people, right? And I think that Bane is an interesting villain mostly because he is exactly what Batman... or what, what Bruce Wayne thinks he wants to be. And by that, I mean he, he has this idea of Batman being this symbol, totally detached from everything, no connections, just this symbol of fear. Specifically in Batman Begins, he talks about that. He wants to be this symbol of fear, specifically for the criminals. And Bane is just that. Bane is like, like totally out of Fs to give, like doesn't care about anything but what he wants to get done at that moment. He has no attachments, he has no weaknesses, he just is this giant block to be afraid of. And I think that he is, so he's effective for that in that, again, we talked about it last week, that good villains are the opposite of the hero and they're kind of a reflection of the hero. So I think that Bane is what Bruce Wayne thinks that he wants Batman to be, but Bruce Wayne wants to keep his attachments. We can see in a couple of scenes in this movie that he's still real torn up over Rachel's death. Um, we see him in a really vulnerable state. He lets himself get taken advantage of by Miranda. Um, and he thinks that he wants to be this just stone cold block, but he doesn't. And I think that's interesting that Bane just by existing and being the way he is, is almost a mockery of Bruce not being able to get to the level that he wants to. And I think that's really interesting. One. Two is that, again, the Joker was scary because he messed with your mind, right? He like he would, he would get in there and his idea was to break you down. And uh, again, we talked about how the Joker's one goal was to get Batman to break his one rule. That's what he wanted to do. Well, Bane does the same thing, but on a much larger scale. And he's even more terrifying because he has the ability to just destroy your body. He could just come up and rip your arms off if he felt like it. But instead, he chooses to destroy your mind. And that's horrifying, knowing that somebody has that much power over you on both ends of the spectrum. Like, if he got bored of just getting inside of your head and messing with you, he could just stomp you to death. 
but he chooses not to. So that's why I wrote down this quote where he says, do you feel in charge? I wrote that down too. Oh my God. Because so I, think, good. I think that that question and that quote sums up so much of why he's such a good villain. Because he takes that control away from everybody. And so when he asks him, it's so great. He just like lays his hand on his shoulder. That was improvised. Was it? Mm -hmm. Heavens. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. But it's like, it's not. The line was or just putting the hand there? Just putting his hand there. Okay. But it's like, it's not exactly threatening. He's not like grabbing him, but just like, just just place it. Literally. He's just like saying, I'm, I'm in charge here. It's so great. The guy, don't leave. I'm in charge. Do you feel in charge? Like, (laughs) like in that moment, that guy knows that not only is Bane in his head, but he could just rip him apart in that second. And he basically does. Yeah. But kudos to you if he doesn't just rip you apart because that thinks that means that he thinks you're interesting enough to toy with. (laughs) (laughs) Because like, and even that same scene in the sewers where commissioner gordon gets down there i just uh, i guess to further support my point he the guy comes up and he's this is the police commissioner and you brought him here and he just like grabs the guy's throat and just <laughs> and then he's like now search him and then i'll kill you like <laughs> ugh. yeah i think kind of what you were saying i think it's so scary that he can be so extreme on both spectrums, but he chooses to be so in control. Like, whereas, like we talked about last week with the Joker, there were some instances where you kind of see him lose control. And it's scary, but I feel like in this one, like, he just has a plan for everything and just, like, he knows how to get out of a situation and he knows how to control people physically, mentally. And it's so great and terrifying. The one thing that super disappoints me about Bane, though, is that he is this awesome villain and it's so terrifying. Like, I agree with everything that you said, but then it's all just, like, stripped away and he just, like, dies. Yeah, his death is a little anticlimactic for me. And, like, he gets all, like, sad and emotional and it's like, no, like, this is, like, Miranda's not a villain. Like, I don't, like, it's, like, not satisfying to have her be, like, the mastermind of everything i don't think that betrayal is supposed to be satisfying (laughs) (laughs) well i know but like like bane is just like such an awesome villain that like i just i feel like he should be the one in control because he is in control like the do you feel in charge like he's actually not even the one in charge no i just feel like like getting shot with a gun like isn't worthy of bane yeah exactly like a better cooler death basically That, that might be fair so like I I love but, Bane. I think he's such yeah. a cool character, but I'm just like kind of disappointed with how it all ended and like he was just kind of thrown aside well, and like we moved on. I guess the thing is like what do you do with Bane? Yeah. You can't lock him know. up cuz Batman can't kill him. Yeah. So somebody else had to kill him. That's true. But I, I don't know yeah. like you know like kind of like in movies where they're fighting and then an accident happens and then the guy falls and he dies. But I think, I guess going back to it, I agree with you. Her to just pop out and kind of deus ex machina the whole thing is maybe a little underwhelming. But I think that one of the more important parts of this film is the redemption of Batman and Bruce Wayne in kind of a very individual ways. And I think that if he had been fighting him and a rod falls on him and kills him, like that doesn't redeem 
either Batman or Bruce Wayne because he, you know, that knowing him, he still would have blamed himself and said that he killed somebody, yeah. which he can't have. Yeah. And I'm even okay with someone else killing him. It's just like, I don't know. It was just all a little, like I felt a little let down with how it all played out because, because Bane is so cool mm-hmm. and like to see him kind of be like humanized a little bit and realize that like he's doing this because he's in love with Miranda is like okay that's stupid he's cool he's doing this because he's crazy clearly you've never been a horny guy (laughs) clearly (laughs) we can only hope so not a lot would you try to kill what 12 million people for a girl who's the girl me yeah no you wouldn't Um, but again, I think that, uh, I guess rounding back out to that, um, a couple of more quotes that I wrote down here is, I think that that element of control and Bane being so in control of everything is what makes him another aspect of what makes him so terrifying when he's fighting Batman on the catwalk down in the sewers, he says to him, he said, what does he say? I forget what he says before, but he says, victory has defeated you. And that's such an interesting Point. because one again another thing that i think is really interesting of this in this movie is that it's eight years after the dark knight and you see the fallout you see the city getting used to being okay and getting complacent and so he says victory has defeated you like he just understands batman and bruce wayne um and then the same thing in that same scene he says i wondered what would break first your spirit or your body like oh, right before he so drops cool. him. Yeah. And like, he's just, he's just playing with him. Mm-hmm. Like he thinks he's interesting enough to not just murder, but mostly for revenge for killing Ra's al Ghul. But like, he's just so in control and sp- not just in control, but he takes that control from Batman. And that's what Batman thrives on is feeling like he's in control of the situation. And especially like you look back to something like Batman Begins. And like getting out of Arkham and he, he, you know, summons the bats and he does the, all this awesome stuff. And in the dark night, he, uh, when he's riding in his tank and then he jets out onto his motorcycle and he flips the truck, like he is always in control and that's what he thrives on. And then that control is taken from him both spiritually and physically by brain, by Bane just breaking him. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. And then he just proceeds to do the same thing to the entire city of Gotham. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. And he even, he even tells Bruce what he's doing to him, but I don't know if Bruce realizes it because when he takes him down into the prison, he's like, he's like, you can't have like actual destruction without hope or something like that. I don't remember what the exact line is. He says the same thing to Bruce, like by leaving him in the pit, Mm -hmm. he's like, I'm going to murder you. Yeah. But like, we're going to give you a little shimmer of hope. Which is, again, so terrifying mm-hmm. and, like, so cool to watch. Like, all these people think they have hope and destroy each other. And I think I think that that is one of the more prominent themes in the movie is hope and what its role is in our lives, right? Because Bane believes that their hope is what's going to allow them to be destroyed, but in reality, it's both Batman's hope and the city's hope that allows them to save themselves. And that's really interesting how that 
kind of backfires on him. It's the same way that the Joker's plan backfires on him in, in The Dark Knight. He's kind of, the Joker assumes that people will betray each other and, and murder each other to keep themselves alive. And um, Bane believes that hope is just kind of a figment of your imagination. It doesn't really exist and can't be transformed into real actions. And I think that the scene that, uh, I guess, translate that the most directly is when the police are marching down the street. And as soon as they see the Batcopter, they, they run up and get into, you know what I mean? And, like, people are getting shot. And it's just nasty. Like, it's not cool. But, like, their hope is what's allowing them to continue on right there. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, like I said, uh, his plans are just absurd. <laughs> Like who's th- so crazy? Let's uh, make sure we get the proper permits to put our explosive laced concrete into the <laughs> sewers so that we can draw all the cops down there, and then we'll blow all the bridges but one, and uh, blow up a football field too for good measure, and then we'll just drive a nuke around the streets of the city and like what? <laughs> yeah, and like this coming from a man who like lived in the bottom of a hole. Yeah, yeah I want to see where did he get the money for this. Yeah, right. I want. Well, I think it's from Miranda because she was like this oh, super wealthy Maybe. woman. And then, um, I remember there's something. It's kind of a throwaway line, but I think it's funny. Uh, somebody says something about Bane's henchmen, and like they just won't talk. And they're like, "Where does he find these guys? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, where does he find these guys? <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just like I would love to see the like." boardroom in a cave meeting where he sits down with his slide projector and is like so boys this is how we're gonna do it and they're, they're like why why are we doing this what's the point he's got one of those like 3d models and he's like yeah, yeah this is the truck and it's just gonna drive around for months and months like, and then this is gonna be they're like five months we're gonna drive a nuke in circles for five months he's like yep that's about right <laughs> And then he just puts his hand on their and shoulder they're like, and they're like, that's what we're going to do. Okay. They're like, oh, and then then the nuke is going to go off. He's like, yep, regardless, nuke goes off. So we're, we're all going to die. We're, we're going to be in the city then. Yep, nuke goes off. We're in the city. <laughs> <laughs> Foolproof. What is, the, what is the planning session of this? like? Well, and again, like all these henchmen are so loyal to him, not to Miranda. Like they're yeah. loyal to him. Like he's the one, like the mastermind and the one that's doing all of this. Yeah. Then Miranda swoops in and t- tries to take credit like, Spain. He's yeah. cool. Yeah. So I guess that's the there's there's a lot of willful suspension of disbelief that comes with this movie because it is so comic booky. Like oh, yeah. this is just you, you can't put this in an actual movie. No. Yeah. And have it be like even semi grounded because it's just so ridiculous. But again, I love that about these three movies that they stay true to their roots in in at least that way that they're so absurd. They're so great. Freaking Bane. I love Bane. I feel like I was going to say something. What was it? Oh, I was going to say that like halfway through the movie, I was it was the monologue um, where Bane is just right outside the prison. And like you're just watching him and like you don't see more than half of his face, but he's still so good at just like emoting with his eyes. Well, I mean, like he doesn't really emote too much because Bane is crazy, but like you just see the crazy in his eyes. And I just... Just being able to act with a third of your face is incredible. Tom Hardy is definitely an A-list actor. Oh, yeah. 
And I think this, um, I don't know where this would fall for me as far as, he just has so many, so many, so many, so many good performances. Um, this is probably top five for me though. He does the same thing in Dunkirk though. He's got a mask on the whole time in that That's movie true. too, yeah. but he does such a good job with it. I think the Revenant is my favorite performance of his. I hear Locke is really good. Locke is interesting. Yeah. I hear it's good, like, performance-wise from him. Well, do you know what it is? Yeah. Yeah. It's... Do you know what it is, Becca? No. He's a construction manager, and he's driving from one place to another, and it's an hour and a half long drive, and you follow him on the drive. So he's the the only person on screen the entire movie, Mm -hmm. and the dialogue takes place, like, with him talking to himself and over the phone. Jeez. But this, like, whole drama plays out. It's really interesting. I wouldn't say it's great... But it's interesting, and he really, really, really carries it. I think that this might be my third favorite performance from him. Number one being in The Revenant, and number two being in Bronson. But yeah. Uh I forgot he was in Black Hawk Down. Everybody was in Black Hawk Down. That's true. We look at the... (laughs) There's a few people at work who really like black hawk down and we look at the cast of black hawk down like three times a week it's huge <laughs> i swear i know I, I know that cast by heart at yeah. this point like, <laughs> um but yeah anything else you guys want to say about bane he's just awesome i love bane he is awesome that's what i think I, I think that they had a i guess a big shoes to fill after having that good of a joker but i think they do and I just, great. I love his backstory. Like, mm-hmm. just everything about the prison. Yeah. I think it's so cool. The prison is amazing. Yeah. It's like, kind of like a nice contrast between knowing nothing from the Joker to knowing, like, the full backstory mm-hmm. of Bane. So. One more thing. A quote, a very famous quote that supports my theory. Because, um, again, my theory is that Bane is what Batman thinks he wants to be. Uh, when he says, because he puts out the lights and he says, you think darkness is your ally? Oh yeah. He, what does he say? He's like, I was born in the darkness molded by it. You merely adopted the darkness. Uh-huh. Like Bane is what Batman thinks he wants to be. And I think that's a really important thing for Bruce Wayne and Batman's characters in this movie is realizing that what he thought he wanted to be is not what he actually wanted to be. If that makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but oddly enough, I think that uh, Bruce is like my fourth or fifth char- favorite character in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, he's not like the most charismatic. I mean, he is when he's like playing the douchebag Bruce Wayne. But he like. He really do that in this movie. Yeah, though. no. Which I kind of like in this movie, I kind of like realize that he's like. He's still a really good character, and I don't. I think he gets, uh, kind of put on the back burner, overshadowed by such incredible performances. But that's not to say that he's not good. It's just that there mm-hmm. are so many good performances. Yeah, in this. Christian Bale is no slouch. Let's be clear about nope. that. Nope. Um, but my second favorite character or favorite—it's a toss-up. Is actually Alfred in this movie. I put Alfred in my notes with a heart by it. Because he's my favorite character in this movie. Like, what is it? What does a guy have to do to get a supporting actor nom? Has he ever won anything? I'm sure that Michael Caine has won have. something. Hang on. Let's find out. 
won two Oscars. Okay. What has he won for? Um, the Cider House Rules and Hannah and Her Sisters. I haven't heard of either of those. <laughs> Me either. Yeah, whatever. He hasn't been nominated since 2003. What a shame. Come Jeez. on, guys. I think the... Again, the movie's called The Dark Knight Rises, so it is about uh, Bruce Wayne being able to leave Batman behind. I think that's a... Obviously, it's the completion of his arc and his redemption, really, especially after the ending of The Dark Knight, which obviously ends with him taking the fall for everything that Harvey Dent did. So I think that his redemption is incredibly important, but I don't think that any of that would have happened without Alfred. Yeah. And I think that it's... um, It's a surprisingly emotional performance from Michael Caine. And not just at the end, um, when he's like crying at uh, uh, the Wayne's graves. Like, throughout it, every conversation that he has with Batman is like... You could just... It, it's It's such incredible acting, and the chemistry between them is so amazing. You could just feel that Alfred just loves this kid, and he still sees him just as a kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he, he literally cannot bear to see him just destroy himself in the way that he seems so determined to do. Mm-hmm. And um, even, like, there's that moment, like, Bruce is just so irrational when he gets this idea in his head that he needs to be the hero, and nothing can touch him, so... Like, he, when Alfred tells him about Rachel's letter, and he's like, you're using Rachel against me? He's like, I'm using the truth to get you to realize, like, what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Like, the city doesn't need Batman. The city needs Bruce Wayne. That's one of my favorite lines from Alfred is when he is talking to Bruce and saying, like, you don't need to, like, give up your life as Batman for these people. But, like, you could be Bruce Wayne and still do, like, all of these amazing things. And it just makes you think, like, if he had decided to like really just be Bruce Wayne and like do good as a billionaire philanthropist, like he, I don't know, maybe things would have been different. Chose to mope instead. Yeah. Like he could have maybe done better as Bruce Wayne than Batman. Yeah. And one line of Alfred's really stuck out to me because again, going back to last week, um, one of my favorite lines from, the dark knight is at the end where um bruce says he says maybe sometimes people deserve better than the truth but then alfred says to him he says maybe it's time we stop trying to outsmart the truth and let it have its day i love that line and i thought that was an so interesting good. callback because again that was one of my favorite lines of the dark knight because i was like like that's such an important thing for uh batman's character and again the whole like hero they need versus hero they deserve and all that kind of stuff so that line is so key to Batman's understanding of why he took the fall for Harvey Dent. And then Alfred throwing it back at him. And I, I mean, Alfred obviously doesn't know that he said that, but the writers know that he said that. So I think that line to say that maybe it's time we stop trying to outsmart the truth and let it have its day is so clutch to show us where, uh, I guess, Bruce's headspace is. That he doesn't... He still feels like the people deserve better than the truth. And Alfred is convinced that they just need the truth. Yeah. And it's the same thing going, you know, as far as like Gordon's speech at the beginning 
Like he's going to expose Harvey Dent and then he chooses not to. But that almost became like his downfall towards the end when the truth did get out. It was Mm -hmm. like Gordon's fault too. Well, and that was one thing that I wrote down as far as one of the more significant themes of this movie is that you can't escape your past. Like Mm -hmm. it will always come back to get you. And the examples that I wrote down off the top of my head was obviously Ra's al Ghul because Bruce, you know, goes and learn and like studies under him and has all these things happen. And then he thinks that he's escaped it. But in the end, it almost it, him trying to escape that by killing Ra's al Ghul in the first movie, like, um, it almost gets Gotham destroyed. Mm-hmm. So Ra's al Ghul, um, Gordon's letter is what makes Robin be disillusioned with Gordon and a lot of people. Um, Gotham's underbelly, they get all put away in the in the prison. And the first thing that Bane does is go to the prison and let everybody go. And then again, the same thing, the city became complacent. And their complacency is, is what convinced Bane, I guess, that they still needed to be destroyed. Selina, her entire character arc is based around trying to escape her past. And it's unclear whether the fresh start or whatever they call it actually exists. And I think that's important that it doesn't exist. Because you can't escape your past. And I think that's one of the important themes of this movie. And then the entire city... Um, you know, Bane's army uses the entire applied sciences division against Batman in the city, even the reactor that they built to do good things. Like you can't escape your past. And at, if you don't confront it, it will confront you at some point. Well, and just like the opposites, like every single thing that Batman was afraid of, like he's trying to use all of these things for good. And then he worries that other people will use them as weapons and then, yeah, you're right. In the end, they do use them as weapons. Even all the things that were built for him to be Batman were used against him. Kind I didn't of, think about that before, but it's cool. Kind of along the same lines. The scene where they're first, when Bruce like first goes back to Fox and he like shows him everything in there. And he says, I didn't quite catch what he said beforehand, but he says, uh, let me, I wrote it down. He says... Um, yeah, I wanted to keep them from falling into the wrong hands. And then it literally falls into Bane's lair. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was amazing and great foreshadowing, but it also goes along with like, this is where you decided to hide the things and somehow Bane found exactly where it is underground and he's going to come get it. So many literal things The weapons falling into the wrong hands, the dark night rises, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, but sorry, jumping back to uh, to that, and I think it's interesting as well. Um, when Bruce is investigating at the beginning, and he's like, you know, the police won't be able to do this, and Alfred's like, well, maybe if you gave them the tools, they'd be able to. Like Batman has kept so many things hidden from the city, whether it be the the Batmobile cars, whether it be the reactor, whether it be the weapons, and all of those things that he has tried to keep hidden are what come back to bite them. Like, Bane and his friends only bring in a few Uzis. Like, everything else is in the city. And they just, I guess, reappropriate it. (laughs) And, like, who is Batman or Bruce Wayne to decide that the city can't handle these things? Yeah. That's not his place. Well, and that comes back to uh, The Dark Knight as well. That... They talk about how they need him to be infallible, basically. 
or they needed Harvey Dent to be infallible, but it was Batman. He has this, he, he had this kind of this ego where like in that moment, he's like, yeah, we need Harvey Dent to be infallible. But like, really he thought of himself as just like this incorruptible moral compass. And even that's what the Joker says to him. He says, you really are incorruptible. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It is. I think that's it is that it shows that even, and they talk about it a few times. They're like, this is peacetime. Like Gordon's a war, a war hero and we're in peacetime and all this kind of stuff. But like even in peacetime and all of that, Bruce Wayne still doesn't trust the city. Even though they may have earned it. Yeah. Very interesting. And I think that's where um, Robin's character is very interesting. Where he kind of brings out the good in Bruce Wayne again. And kind of shows him that like there are good people and he can trust some people. And like there's more good in the world. So I like Robin's character a lot. Yeah, for sure. And especially, I think that there's interesting parallels between Robin and Bruce. Because um, Robin talks about uh, Bruce coming to the orphanage. And he's like, you know, for you, it was just whatever. But, like, for me, I knew who you were in that moment. And then that's how Bruce chooses to tell Gordon who he is. He's like, you know, it's important what we do, even if you're just putting a coat around a young boy's shoulders. That was the most satisfying, like revelation for me is like when gordon finally realizes who batman is like so satisfying i was so happy with that scene he deserved it he deserved to know absolutely because that was i mean gordon throughout the three movies just put his trust in batman yeah and he like he honestly didn't really care who it was it was just but he deserved to know oh yeah yeah totally then also i was thinking i was like what if like he put coats on like a lot of kids. <laughs> and he's just like, Gordon's well, like, which one? Who, just tell me your name. I put coats on so many boys. <laughs> it like goes through his memory. It shows like, off a big montage. <laughs> I would love that. And then he goes insane and ends up in Arkham Asylum. Who's bad? <laughs> so many coats. So many coats. So many coats. <laughs> um, well, talking about satisfying scenes i'm gonna jump to the end if we're all okay with that like multiple parts in the end and back to alfred i love how it ends with alfred Mm -hmm. like it just makes me so happy and warms my heart that like alfred same with gordon like gordon and alfred get everything they deserve i feel like yeah Mm -hmm. and like even it's disputed if it's he's actually seeing bruce or not but even either way it's a it's like a good ending for alfred like he he feels at peace with what happened to bruce if he's alive or if he's dead well that's kind of a nolan thing i think in a lot of ways because it's similar to the end of inception people always argue about whether he's in a dream or not yeah but the real the the importance of the ending of inception is that he doesn't care anymore yeah and i think that's what it is is alfred whether or not he actually sees bruce because again a lot has to go right for that moment to happen but then also a lot has to go right for anything in this movie to happen. That's true. So it's super plausible. <laughs> but I think the important thing is that, like you guys said, he's able to move past and yeah. he deserves that. Yeah. And that's really satisfying. Which is kind of a callback to one of his first scenes with Bruce and he's talking about how Bruce isn't going out and living after Rachel's death. Mm-hmm. But then later on, 
you know, Bruce is, he believes that he's dead, but he still goes out, he goes to Europe, and so I feel like that's a good callback to kind of just go, still going on with your life. Yeah. But that scene at the funeral, oh. talking about how he failed him, I'm not even going to mock that. I always <laughs> do silly voices to, for scenes I like. I can't even touch that. No. What yeah. a scene. Alfred, I mean, because he's been there through literally everything mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Like, he raised him. Well, and even, like, jumping back to... I don't know. I think that it's really impressive as far as his character goes, the choice that he makes to leave. Mm-hmm. When he says that leaving is all I have to show you, like, what you need to do. And we jump back to the end of The Dark Knight where they're, you know, walking out of the makeshift Batcave. He's like, well, I suppose they're going to arrest me and take me down too. Like, Alfred was in a thousand percent more than anybody else. And anything that happened to Bruce also affected him. But he was there. And, it, again, it calls back to the, the ending of the second one where he says that sometimes people deserve to have their faith rewarded. And, like, Alfred got that mm-hmm. this time. He was so a thousand percent in on the whole Batman thing. And not just like in on it as in knowing about it. Like he was he was in on it. Like if it succeeded, he succeeded with it. If it failed, he was going to go down with it. And he felt like, you know, when when Batman dies, he feels like he fails. But then he has his faith rewarded. Again, it's just, it's so satisfying. It really is. So I love satisfying endings. But I also have a few beefs with the end too. <laughs> What are your beefs? Well, okay, so does he actually die? What do you guys think? Is he dead? I don't think so. I don't or think so. Not. They said that he fixed the autopilot. Yeah. And, and I I hate that. But she's but got I think the that, pearls and... Yeah, I think I that think what, um, what Alfred said stuck to Batman, that he said he needed to leave. Yeah. And I don't think that he could really truly leave without everybody thinking he was dead mm-hmm. yeah it's true but i feel like i don't know just with like the scene with robin like it makes you think like oh batman and robin you know like batman i think not it's gone. more of a torch passing moment than anything else yeah that's what I, I guess was but like my biggest beef with all superhero movies is that they don't just let them die like bruce <laughs> wayne and like he's just like done like as Batman, he cannot do anything else. Mm-hmm. And I just want him to, like, actually just die. <laughs> In a good way. But, like, like superheroes need to die. Yeah. They just keep living and keep coming back from the dead. And it bugs me so bad. Like, I just want them to die because they've, like, done their duty. Here's the thing. You guys know, I, we talked about this last week. And I talked about both Civil War and uh, Batman versus Superman. As far as unsatisfying that they wouldn't, that they didn't have the guts to kill them, basically. Uh, Yeah. And uh, now you saying that gets me thinking. I think that I only take issue with that when it is used to set up a sequel. Yes, I agree. I think it's a cheap device if they use it to keep the franchise going. I think it's satisfying as a conclusion. Mm -hmm. Especially if the character deserves it. I think that in both cases, either Captain America or Iron Man in Civil War, one of them deserved to die. 
And I think at the end of Batman vs. Superman, Superman deserved to die. Mm-hmm. According to the story and to the arc, that sounds super harsh to say that somebody deserved to die. I think that, that one, they deserved it, and the audience deserved it as far as satisfaction and consequence goes. I think in this one, both the audience and Bruce Wayne deserved to still be alive at the end of this one. Yep. That's fair. I just, like, to me, it felt like it was setting it up for, like, like Batman is still a thing, and it's going to be Batman and Robin now. And I just don't like that. Like, I just want Batman to be done. And, I mean, we're six years on now, and there's never been a, a rumble of Nolan touching this yeah. again. So. And he doesn't yeah, want to. it's so. true. But yeah. uh, Michael Caine says that he believes that it's real. So, it's real, okay? <laughs> you have to listen to Sir Michael Caine. Oh, okay. Is, okay. He, is he a knight? I don't know, but I just feel like you need to say <laughs> Sir Michael Caine. <laughs> It just it just feels natural. As far as Bruce goes, though, I do think it's interesting um, on his character how broken he really is because of Rachel's death. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically the vulnerability that he shows is really interesting. Specifically when it comes to women and how he lets himself be taken advantage of by Miranda. Like, what a, what a snake, man. Yeah. She's awful. She really is. I don't know. It's just a side of, of Bruce Wayne that you don't get to see in the other movies because he's not been yet. He's not yet been broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, Rachel's death breaks him. Like in Batman Begins, he's angry and he's vulnerable in that way. Like he's not the normal Bruce Wayne Batman mm-hmm. that you're used to. But this one is just, just like he's completely broken. Like there's no anger to like push him forward. It's just all grief and yeah. depression mm-hmm. talking about that and as long as we're talking about things that are unsatisfying with this movie uh, the uh, i guess romantic aspect between selena and bruce seems a bit a bit of a stretch to say the least yeah, yeah. i don't see them together i don't um, like it a great movie keanu reeves sandra bullock speed have you guys ever seen that Mm-mm. you know what it's about you know? No. Speed is a movie <laughs> where a crazy man has strapped a bomb to a bus, and if the bus drops below 55 miles an hour, then the bomb will go off. So the bus, the bus has to stay above 55 miles an hour at all times. There's a great scene where the highway ends and they ramp the bus. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, really a masterpiece of modern cinema. Um, but at the end... Um, this is a quote that always stuck with me and I think it's a really clever piece of writing from a fairly middle of the road movie if we're being honest Um, and they they, they play it off as a punchline but I think it's good Uh, Keanu Reeves says to Sandra Bullock at the end of that movie he says they say that relationships based on traumatic situations never last and then she says well then let's base it on sex and they just start like So they play it as a punchline, but I think that I always, I always, <laughs> it's great. Um, oh my gosh. Especially because they're like sitting in the remnants of a blown up bus and they just start making out in the middle of the street, like laying down on, just, so how they do it. It's great. So what they do is they, oh my gosh. they manage to, while the bus is going 55 miles an hour or above, they manage to get all the passengers off until it's just the two of them. And then there's a little panel on the bottom of the bus 
that they lay down on and punch out and let the bus go off by itself and it blows up somewhere and then they're laying on this little metal panel in the middle of the road. And that's when they have that conversation. But that scene always stuck to me and and I think that as far as movie relationships go um, and whether or not I find them by any measure believable as far as like they lived happily ever after is whether the relationship is based on a traumatic situation or based on genuine connection. And I think... There might be arguments for both sides here, but I wonder how much of their relationship is genuine connection. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't think it's very much. I don't really buy their relationship. I think that they identify with each other as outcasts. And, yeah. Um, especially when she realizes that Batman is Bruce Wayne and it gives her a, a lot, uh, a, a deeper understanding of him. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that he's a little too forgiving. Considering yeah, she, she robbed him and stole his fingerprints. And then turned him into Bane. Yeah. To, to be fair, he asked her. And she says that, well, you asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't fully buy that they live happily ever after. Because yeah. like, it's cool and all to be like, yeah, we're outcasts in the city. Chewed us up and spat us back out. And now we're here. But it's like, who does the laundry in that relationship? Not Bruce Wayne. You know How I mean? are you going to wash a leather jumpsuit? You can't wash that. <laughs> no, you don't need to wash it. No. So Gross. I guess no one's doing laundry. But, but do you get what I mean by that? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, he doesn't have any money. She doesn't have any money. Yeah. Who's who's paying for that coffee they're drinking at that French coffee house? How did they get to France? I don't know. I mean, that's just uh, nitpicking at that point. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the day-to-day, like... Does Bruce Wayne watch too much TV and not give her enough attention? You know what I mean? Like, I don't. <laughs> how do how do these relate? How does this relationship function? I don't know. And maybe that just maybe I'm using the comic book excuse to defend the things I like mm-hmm. and to, but I'm not allowing myself to use it to criticize the things that I don't like. Yeah. It, it it could just very well be just that it's comic booky. Mm-hmm. Maybe, it turns out that she, is a princess. And she inherits all this Shut money. Shut your mouth. Shut up. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> You're stopped right now. No. I will never stop talking about that movie. No. Song. There's a song at the beginning of that movie that's awesome. Oh. Is it the Supergirl one? Yeah, Supergirl. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Supergirl. That, that's a great That song. soundtrack is amazing. Okay. Don't fight me. Amazing that. is a stretch. <laughs> amazing for... Uh, preteen girl. The Princess Diaries, for those of you who are out of the loop for whatever reason. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> stop listening to this podcast, all right? You don't like movies. If you haven't seen The Princess Diaries, you don't like movies. No, everyone Official. should see it. Yes. Um, I think that maybe somebody who gets a little bit forgotten about um, is Gordon. Mm-hmm. I'd put him at my number three favorite character, though, in this movie. After, um, before Robin, yeah, I think Robin is way better in this movie. But I think that it's because we've watched Gordon, and you see these these characteristics in Gordon. But I think the the thing that is most telling about his character, as far as I think that Gordon is my favorite or my third favorite because he is the only person apart from Bruce and Alfred who is as dedicated to the cause of saving Gotham. Because you hear early on that his wife and kids left and went to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. 
Gotham has to be pretty bad <laughs> for them to go to Cleveland. Let's just be clear about that. Um, but he stays behind and he doesn't let anybody go in front of him. He's the police commissioner and he's the first person down in those sewers. Mm-hmm. Like he's, the, he's in charge of everything and he's the one on that truck slapping the device onto the bomb. Yeah. Like he, he is just as dedicated as uh, Bruce is to saving Gotham, but he does it without a mask. Yeah. And that's super interesting. Also, that's another thing that says that Bruce Wayne is still Batman. At the end, Gordon's last scene is him um, seeing the Batman symbol on the spotlight again. And it's like all fixed. I think it's just a callback to smashing it in the second one. That the, the reputation of the Batman has been restored. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The Dark Knight has risen. I'm just choosing to listen not like the ending. Sir Michael Caine said that it's real <laughs> and that he's alive. Drop it. I oh, no, I know he's alive. That's what I'm mad about. <laughs> but again, that's. Well, but then, what's uh, one of the greatest points of the movie is his redemption, and if he's dead, is he really just, redeemed? I think that he deserves to be dead, like in a. <laughs> Why should, Good he, why should he die when he successfully saved the city? Because he's done. Like, he's done everything that he can and, like, given everything for the city. So, like, I think he just needs to be done. And I think that he but wouldn't be done. happy living still. He's in France. Here's the thing. And Bruce Wayne is dead. Maybe Bruce Wayne is alive. But like, <laughs> that was my French accent, by the way. That was terrible. Yeah. Um, but, like, Bruce Wayne is dead. For all I mean, intents and purposes. I guess. I don't know. But I just still think that they make it seem like he's still Batman. That he's going to come back. I mean, I know there's not going to be another movie or whatever. But I took it more as like Robin. Like Robin. Like it, it's. I don't think it's a different symbol. But I took. Not necessarily that Robin was the one who put it on there. But just like there's someone new to take care of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Passing the torch. Eh, I don't know. I still have beefs with it. <laughs> Speaking of Robin, uh, you were surprised that I put Gordon above Robin. Why? Because Robin is awesome. And he's like, also, like you said with Gordon, like he actually cares about helping the city. Mm-hmm. And like he actually is just good and has a moral compass and follows it faithfully. And is like always just helping people. And it's I mean, awesome. Robin is basically just young Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. without the ninja training yeah but he doesn't have like this crazy path and like this like road to like i don't know bring justice to people or anything he's just like a good person and yeah. is and wants to help and wants to do good things with his life and isn't like crazy rich and can afford all this crap like I think you my know favorite, he's just normal my favorite robin moment is after the bridge gets blown up Yes. And he's telling the kids to get back on the bus. And the guy's like, where are you going to go? It's an atom bomb. He's like, do you really think that's what they need to hear right now? Yeah. Like, even in that moment when he's convinced that everything is lost and they're all going to die, like, he doesn't give up. Like, that's my favorite Robin moment. Yeah. And he's also really cute. So, yes, that's a plus. Sure. <laughs> I think JGL's a champ. I love that oh, guy. Yeah. He's great. Um, shorten your name though, dude. Just like Joseph Gordon. There you go. I like him. 
It's just like it's iconic now. Yeah, he's he's too far in. He's committed. Yeah, he can't yeah. change it now. Yeah. Um. But great job casting on this. Like Nolan can really just get anybody he wants at this point, right? Oh yeah. He's like, yeah. Uh, give me JGL and uh, Anne Hathaway and Tom Hardy. Like, <laughs> I mean, Tom Hardy had already done Inception with him, so. That's true. Whatever. So did Joseph Gordon Levitt? Ah, that's right. Oh. Mm. Mm. Crazy. Mm. What a filmmaker Nolan is. How does he do it? We all know that The Prestige is his best film. It's up there. It's so hard to rate. Prestige number one. Interstellar number two, Dark Knight three, Dunkirk four. I feel like I'd have to watch Inception them all again yeah. after like actually being into film because most of those movies I watched before I knew that movies were good. <laughs> the Prestige is so wildly. Yeah, that the Prestige one is good. That one is so good. Um, I think that we covered everything for me. Yeah, all my notes are checked off. Alrighty. Here's the thing. This is a great movie. And it, I think that it, it, it has a lot to say, just like The Dark Knight does. And I think it has different things to say. But I think that what it comes down to is that it's an incredibly satisfying finish, even though Becca has beefs with it being satisfying for some reason. Um, Most, a, a lot but, of the end, part of the ending is satisfying. But it can be satisfying in both ways. Like, if he's dead, Alfred is hallucinating and he's fine. That's true. I think that's what it comes down to is if, if Bruce is dead, Alfred is sad. And that would make me hate this movie because Alfred, more than anything, deserves to be happy. That's true. We need to protect him. Because you think about it, how old is Bruce Wayne at the end of this movie? Mid-30s? Yeah. That's 30 years of him just being miserable, mm-hmm. essentially. He deserves it. Yeah, he does. I'm not saying it's not a good movie and that it's not, I don't know. I just have a couple beefs with it. That's all. I do think it's a great movie. Is it happening? Yeah. Trivia said, what? Let's do it. Um, so Christopher Nolan said that there's different themes for all the movies. Um, for Batman Begins, it the theme is fear. Uh, Dark Knight is chaos. And this one is pain. Which hmm. is awesome. Considering what we talked about. Yeah. Um... So Tom Hardy had a really hard time with the fight scenes, not physically, but because he was such a big fan of Batman that like morally he like couldn't bring himself to <laughs> break his back. That's great. I love that. He's so great. Um, during the fight scenes with, um, what's his face? Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Tom Hardy had to wear three inch lifts. So he's doing those scenes in heels. So... <laughs> Is, is he just that much shorter? He's 5'9". Tom so, Hardy is 5'9". Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah, so Bane was chosen to be the antagonist to test Batman mentally and physically. Hmm. All right. Nailed that on the head. Look, I'm, I'm picking these things up and I feel pretty proud of myself. <laughs> Look at you. Um, the costume designer, she took two years to design Bane's coat. The fur one? Yeah. Because it's a brown fur coat. I know. Inspired by a Swedish army jacket and a French Revolution frock coat to make Bane look equally dictatorial and revolutionary. Hmm. But still, cool. two years. I feel like that's a long time. It's that a long, a long time, time on a coat. Well, like, she was probably doing other things as well. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, 
the bat suit consisted of 110 separate pieces. Oh yeah, there gosh. had to be a bathroom built into that. Yeah, come on, there's got to be, because <laughs> you can't go to the bathroom and take off all well, 110. Well, unless just like an individual piece was like the crotch cover. Yeah, but like, just like it'd be like. <laughs> that <off>. like <laughs> It'd be like when girls wear like those like jumpsuits and they mm-hmm. go to the bathroom and like they have to take it off from the top. So he's just like naked in the bathroom. <laughs> That's the most satisfying. Like thing he has to, to take bathroom, everything though. off <laughs> except his his, his hat. hats on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, the first encounter with Batman and Bane when they're on the catwalk and they're walking towards each other. Bane, um, so when they went in to do the sound effects, Bane, his footsteps are really loud and Batman's are silent. And that is to uh, show Bane's brute and Batman's stealth Hmm. in combat. Interesting. Um, Let's see. Oh, this is the only one where you see Batman in the light, which I thought was interesting. I know a lot of people who don't really like that, though, but... I think it's fine. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. And Lady Gaga was considered for the role of Catwoman. Well, we can all <laughs> agree that that would have been awesome. Uh, that Bef- would have been before, awesome. Before uh, A Star is Born, I would say no way. But after, I'm like, you know what? That probably would have been awesome. I feel like she could do anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's great. Well, awesome. Oh, one more. Oh. Um. The soundtrack that played when Bruce supposedly died is the same soundtrack that played when his parents died. That's what I was checking. Wow. Mm. Yep. That's sweet. And yeah, that's it. That was too quiet. It's time for final thoughts and ratings out of 10. Becca? All right. Well, beefs aside, I do think this is a fantastic movie. And I think it's a great superhero movie. I think it has an awesome plot, even though it's like so crazy. Like, I love the idea of Bane just like making the entire city of Gotham just go crazy and do whatever they want. And I think that's really cool. And everything in the prison is really cool. And I don't know. It's just awesome. I think it's really good. Um, And I do really like it. And I think I would give it an 8.9. All right. Sit. Final thoughts. Um, Yeah. I think this movie's great. Not only just as a superhero movie. I think just as a whole. It's a great movie. Um, Yeah. Too often, you know, and even myself, I do this. It gets overshadowed by Dark Knight. But it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't deserve to be overshadowed. I think, you know, characters are great, storyline, the music. We didn't talk about the music, but the music is so great in these Very movies. Good. And just, yeah. There's so much parts about this movie that just work so well together. I'm going to give this one a 9.3. All right. I also love this movie. As I said, I floundered for a while between The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, which is better. Uh, watching them close together, The Dark Knight is superior, but not by much. Um I think, for, again, for me, it just comes down to some craft things that I think are better done on The Dark Knight. Um, I don't know what more else to say about this one. Um, I also give it a 9.3. Alrighty. All right. Averaging us out to, what, like a 9.1, 9.2, somewhere in there? Yeah, yeah. probably 9.2. The only uh, best rating system on the internet. 
The only one. And the most accurate out of the only one that it is. Yes, <laughs> that is correct. Um, we'll finish it out with a quick other topics. Um, I don't think we've really seen... Have we got to see anything? We haven't seen anything this week. This week was busy. Yeah, I didn't watch anything at all. Have you watched anything of note? Um, I watched The Departed. What'd you think? It was really good. I really liked it. Um, out of the Scorsese ones that I've seen, it's probably my favorite. Okay. Because the other ones I've seen were a million hours long. Which ones did you watch? I've seen um, The Aviator and Gangs of New York, which was great. But Gangs it was just, of New York is so long. It's so long. Very long. So, but it, it was good. But yeah, I really liked The Departed. And I watched Upgrade. How was that? I actually liked it. I mean, it wasn't... I heard it was better than I would think it would yeah, be. Yeah, I would say so. Um... I would say for like the action scenes and the sci-fi aspect, it's really good. But like storyline and like dialogue, it's a little rough. But I like it's basically like a better Venom with an actor who looks just like Tom Hardy. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's pretty much everything of note for me. Um, for anybody who cares, I am going to see Suspiria again this week. Um, I need to make up my mind about it. I think I love it, but I want to make sure. I'm pretty sure I love it. I'm, I'm pretty firm. I don't like it. <laughs> oh, that's fair. But yeah, I think that's the gist of it. This is the conclusion of our trilogy of episodes about Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight trilogy, making him the most featured director on the podcast thus far. Wow. We've had some twos. Yeah. He's the only one with three. So um, next week, we're very excited. We're going to be doing uh, Wes Anderson's, um, I just lost the name of it. Grand Budapest Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, I have only seen the Royal Tenenbaums. I've seen a few of them, but so far Royal Tenenbaums is my favorite. So, But I hear this one's really good. Yeah, I've heard it's really good. I like Ray Fiennes. Um, isn't, um, what's his name? Life of Jeff Goldblum. Isn't he in this? Yes. Yeah. So is Tilda Swinton. Oh, really? Uh-huh. I'm sold in. But I'm pretty sure she's... Never mind. That's a spoiler. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's what we're watching next week. Join us for that. Um, if you want to contact us, you can slide into the DMs on facebook.com slash wewatchmovies and then talk about them or on Instagram at movieswewatch. Um, any questions, comments, movie suggestions, uh, throw them in there. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, please do. But until then, I am Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. And we thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. Have a great day. See ya. Bye.